Welcome to episode 127 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, I'd like to remind you one more time that subscribing is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode of Stageworthy. And subscribing is easy. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Google Music and search for Stageworthy. Then click the subscribe button. And you can also find links to both of those sites at the Stageworthy website. And if you want to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guest this week is Adam Selig. Adam is the writer, director, and composer of One Little Goat Theatre's Music, Music, Life, Death, Music, opening May 25th at the Tarragon Extra Space in Toronto. So just to jump right in, yeah, the play is music, music, life, death, music. Yeah, which just I, I, I have to have my my little cheat sheet here just so that I um, have that title in front of me. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, <clears throat> what, what what? Okay, it's an absurdical. Yes, which I suppose is a, an absurd musical. It's an absurd musical, an okay. absurdist musical. Okay. So a musical with a heavy, heavy dose of the ridiculous, but mm-hmm. also not just ridiculous in terms of uh, ridiculousness, but also the the um, lack of meaning that forces us to really. Uh, Bond and and, and uh, have strong relationships mm-hmm. with each other. So um, that is, it's more than just a kind of silly absurdity. It's it's a, a sometimes disconcerting mm-hmm. kind of absurdity that's that's behind <clears throat> it. Is there a, a, a story that you can tell us about that is about in, like inherent in the in like the the. The, yeah, the, so the so this is a really simple play. Um, the woman played by Teresa Tova, who goes by B, she knocks on her daughter and son-in-law's door in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. She wakes them up, and in the process also wakes up their teenage son. And it is really uh, everything that unfolds from there. So it's not plot heavy. Mm. It's much more about the dynamics between mm. these three generations of family, between the husband and wife who are, uh, let's call them a sandwich generation, uh, torn between their loyalties to this older generation and need to help her and, and uh, accommodate her and their love for her and their annoyances with her as well. And just as much uh, towards their younger generation as well, towards their teenage son. So that is as, what happens in this play as far as plot goes. Um, but really, it's I, I'd say that's just a simple setup from which everything unfolds. Hmm. What is there anything in particular that inspired this for you? Where did the, the where did this musical come from? I think I might be 
a writer, a playwright, a director in uh, trapped in a musician's body. So I think that what happened was this time I just, rather than sitting down with paper, I sat down at the piano and thought, well, it might be interesting to just open with a song and see what emerges from there. So the opening song is called, um, it's called, I have to get the order, of the syllables, right? It's called fa fa la la. I almost called it la la fa fa, which would be totally, be utterly totally wrong. wrong. Yes. <laughs> this one's, um, and the subtitle, which is the chorus, is one and one are one. And one and one are one. That is a love song between this couple. Mm-hmm. And that's what started it all. Mm. Sitting at the piano and tr- I guess this idea of building out from the music and beginning with that. Mm. So it started with that love song, then it moved to this, there's really a, a, a passionate scene between this couple, um, again, with a healthy dose of the ridiculous mixed in, and nevertheless, there's real strong, powerful, joyous love and sexual love and, and pleasure that they are about to embark on when, when um, Dee Dee's mother B knocks on the door. So the couples are Dee Dee and JJ, mothers B and their son. Mm-hmm. Goes by at least they call him uh, PP and they often call him Little PP. That's mm. his that's his nickname. So it it started with that, mm. emerged from there, and before I knew it, there was a mom knocking at the door. Before I knew it, there was a teenage boy who was waking right. up in the middle of the night, and it was just one thing leading to another. So really, no map or clear concept that I started with. Just mm. starting with a song and growing from there. Have you had a, a, a ambition to write a musical previously? So I've written the one called Ubu Mayor, which we did right before the municipal election a number of years ago. I guess it was exactly fall of 2014. Mm-hmm. We did a, a musical, One Little Goat, performing a musical with um, uh, Michael Dufay's Richard Hart and Astrid Van Weeren, whom a lot of people know from uh, Come From Away. She's part of the original cast. Um, and we did a full-on play with music. I've never been entirely comfortable with the term <clears throat> musical. Maybe it's because often um, the drama is sacrificed or maybe some of the text is sacrificed just in order to quickly get to the musical mm. numbers. And so I, I keep referring to these as plays with musicals or finding other ways to call the musicals, sure. like an absurdical, yeah. in order to show that really we do have a, a, a balance here of the dramatic with, with the musical. So... Uh, I guess the answer to that is yes. Four years ago, writing Ubu Mare yeah. was such a pleasure, such a delight, so much um, action and excitement and uh, randomness and humor and just surprising moments can emerge when you mix music in with it. And one of the things that was a challenge for me in writing music, music, life, death, music that I thought would be um, just interesting for me to explore is well, okay, music seems to be great for the outrageous, mm-hmm. and Ubu Mare was certainly outrageous. It was a, it was just ri- flat out ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What if, what if through the music we also brought some depth, some emotional depth, mm-hmm. some ballads, some slower numbers? So that was the challenge that I explored with this, and and. Um, there is a much broader range of music. It's not just fast, upbeat numbers. Sure. We also have several that are that are slower tempos and that are more vulnerable. Sure. Um, what? What? I mean, the whole the idea of the the play with music as uh, separating uh, a music from a musical. Um, <clears throat> I totally get that uh, because 
uh, well, well, the the, mu- the the movie La La Land, everybody was calling a musical, mm. and then I saw it and I was like, no, 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 that's not a musical. That is a film with music because uh, right. the songs don't propel, didn't propel the, the 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 action forward. The songs might have been character pieces, and sometimes they were just like nice things. Mm. Um, and to in my mind, that is what. Uh, an X with music is a play with mu- with music, a uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a, a film with music. Yeah. In your mind, what is like what separates a play with music from a musical? Mm. <coughs> um, I think that what separates it for me is that is. Maybe it's just a little more emphasis on text here mm. than I would sometimes expect from a musical. But mm. at the end of the day, if someone calls this a musical, sure. I take no offense whatsoever. Sure. Um, and I think it might actually be even more accurate than what mm. I'm saying. Okay. So, you know, I, I think it's really just my way of trying to have it always, mm. saying... It's not just music. It's not just text. Sure. It's both of these things. Mm-hmm. I give them equal weight, and I and I really throughout the play, um, I'm not trying to rush a scene along in order to get to the to the song, mm-hmm. nor am I rushing through the song in order to get to the scene. Sure. I'm really trying to give them equal weight, and so that's why, rather than this kind of um, musical term, mm-hmm. um, the best I could come up with this time was an absurdical sure. so that just, just to get people thinking a little bit differently sure. about, about how we approach this. But yeah, uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not uh, idealistic or militant about sure. it in any way, shape or form. Was, I mean, like you were saying that, that you wrote, uh, Ubu before and this one you sort of wrote in a different way. Mm. Um, Ubu was written, um, you sat down with paper. You didn't sit down with with the piano first. Yes, yeah, so I sat down with paper, and Ubu became a musical almost by accident. Okay, uh, and that's the part about me being uh, a writer trapped in, in a musician's body because mm-hmm. about twenty pages into it, I just had this feeling like, well, this scene where uh, Ubu's uh, brother Dudu and uh, his uh, and, and um, Ubu's spouse Huhu, when they serve him a plate of bacon. He's just going to have to sing about this. He, he can't hold back. And I, and I wrote that first song, the Bacon song uh, in Ubu Mare. And uh, that really just just happened. And then one song, then another song, and then another song. And so on. before we knew it, we, we, had, we had about you know maybe a, uh, two-thirds text, a third music. So mm. yes, call it a musical, call sure. it a play with music, but there was a lot of music there. Uh, whereas here, I just really wanted to open right away with song and build it with music. And so, you know, I hope I put music in the title enough times <laughs> for people to know. To know that there's music in Yeah, there. I just, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. no false advertising no, here. absolutely not. Absolutely not. You sort of have, like, have all of the things in the title here. Um, I would like to ask you yeah. about your, like, your uh, theatrical origin story. I'd like to look at all of us. We are yeah. creative superheroes, and so our origin <laughs> stories—the things that we, the thing that, why we yeah. do this thing. Yeah, I just won't reveal the kryptonite, but I'll, I'll <laughs> no, give, you never should. No, no, and I'm sure I, I know what it is. But um, for me, it is the first plays I saw as a kid in my elementary school, 
at uh, Le Colbilang in Vancouver and then at, at Sir William Osler School in Vancouver. These are the, the, the elementary schools that I went to. And once a year, troops would come through and we'd all sit down in the gym and they would do these performances. And I would say to this day, those are still the most influential performances for me mm-hmm. in my life. And what I've started to do with One Little Goat over the last couple of years is tour elementary schools mm-hmm. to, in a sense, recreate that experience that I had then. So that's that's the origin for me. Some of them were, I remember there was a troupe that came in and did Carmen. I'm not a huge opera fan per se, but I remember that performance. I still remember sure. it. Um, I must have been, when they did that one, 10 years old. The funny thing is, if I talk to friends from elementary school, they remember those too. And we're talking about accountants, lawyers, plumbers, whoever, all kinds of professions, not necessarily in the arts. And they remember those vividly too. So for me, that, that is the beginning of it all. Do they remember them in, in, in the same, with the same impact as you? Or do they say, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that? Uh, they, they remember them making, making a strong okay. impression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being great performances. Mm-hmm. So that, w- that would be the origin for me. The other side of it is the musical side. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I think what lit me up early on was uh, a lot of R&B. Mm-hmm. And soon after, it became uh, some of, still to this day, my favorite piano players, Oscar Peterson, absolutely blew my mind when I was a kid. Um, and Miles Davis's pianist, um, Bill Evans, and then John Coltrane's piano player, McCoy Tyner, um, and a little later on, uh, Ahmad Jamal would be another one. And now, currently, my, my favorite piano player who just played in Toronto two weeks ago, Abdullah Ibrahim. So these, when, you know, you know, you stated it very, uh, emphatically, the superhero aspect. Mm. When I think of superheroes, I really think of these, titans these musicians so phenomenal um and i think that really the circle around miles davis a lot of those musicians um who went off in different directions herbie hancock would be another another example those are musicians um from i i just have tremendous love Mm. it goes beyond just appreciation these are people who can do no wrong any note they play i'm listening and uh, certainly early on um i was listening to those those guys all the time what's been great for me now in adulthood is I've warmed up to music with lyrics mm. for ages must have been one to maybe as many as two decades. I couldn't listen to music with lyrics other than maybe Leonard Cohen mm. um, and and a few songs and folk songs where the lyrics aren't too um, maybe clever and are just solid. Mm. Uh, I, I always found it hard to mm. relate to to lyrics but something's happened in the last while, and I'm, I'm not sure what it is. It could very well be that from the experience with Ubu, I discovered that singing is an incredible experience, number one, for the people who do it, mm-hmm. but sometimes just as much for the people who are around it. I'm not sure. a singer, but being around people who sing is an extraordinary experience because you can't really hide when you sing. Yeah, it's true. It is, singing is like the most, one of the most vulnerable things you can do in front of somebody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure why singing is. And yet, yeah, it's almost like everybody, like you make somebody sing and they will show you who they are. Mm-hmm. Even, if they, even if they don't sing well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a fascinating thing. Yeah, yeah. When did you start playing music? 
and childhood. Was it something that you wanted to do, or were you, like so many children are, like made to do it at first? Yeah, so I'm one of three. I have to. I have an older brother and a younger sister, so I'm one of three siblings, and they didn't carry on with their with their instruments. And my parents weren't particularly militant about being certain that we practiced. They gave us all of us music lessons for about a year. And shortly after, my brother dropped out. Shortly after, starting my sister as well. But for me, what really drew my interest was going off the page, starting to improvise, mm-hmm. and starting to play by ear. Mm-hmm. And it seems pretty elementary to us to talk about that as adults oh playing by ear and that you know that's pretty common out there but as a kid it it was a real discovery um for me when i was about the age of eight starting to think oh you know i could listen to a song and play it back and and, and pick it out at the piano um so i would say from about the age of nine onward i was i was playing more and more and then around the age of 13 14 where it just became pure love Hmm. pure uh, love for music, for playing, for exploring, um, playing with other people. Yeah. Um, so that really artistically is my first love. And and it all comes back to that. The beauty of learning by ear and learning to improvise mm-hmm. is that it really lets you play with so many different people. And so you just yeah. learn to collaborate. And the spirit of collaboration is a huge part of music, music life, deaf music, mm-hmm. this play that we're doing now. Um, I've, I think, had a lot of training from early years playing music and just being in the room with people and seeing where things go and trusting trusting their instincts. I think when you have a cast like uh, when you have Richard Hart, Sierra Holder, Teresa Tova, Jennifer Villaverde, I mean, they uh, I follow them. A lot of people look at a director and think, oh, what's your vision and where are you leading this? Where are you guiding this? It's kind of the other way around. Uh, they are letting me know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, you know, when you were primarily music, um, when did you start to, like, were you always music and theater or were you like music and then you came to the theater a little later in terms of not just watching things like Carmen at, at, at school, but like things that you wanted to do? Um, I think the first theater for me was improv in Vancouver. I don't know if you've ever seen the Vancouver theater sports people, but they're still going strong there. They are among the funniest, most clever troupe um, I've ever seen still to this day. Um, They're great improvisers here in Toronto, certainly. I think it may just be that I saw... I, I fell in love with improv um, in my teenage years, seeing those guys um, perform in Vancouver, and so I have a tremendous amount of affection for that. So maybe, maybe what I have, having what these both have in common, the musical side and the dramatic side, for me personally, would be the spirit of collaboration, mm. of improvising, of trying things out, of going for the idea, no matter how stupid it is, of rolling with your mistake, which happens in jazz all the time sure. just roll with it and see if you can maybe build something out of it um and a kind of um fearlessness mm-hmm. that goes along with that and um putting the cart before the horse is a, is a huge part of, yeah. of improv both musically and dramatically so i think it was soon after getting into improvised music that i started to find through uh, friends in high school and through the vancouver theater sports mm-hmm. league that there is a lot of uh, excitement uh, going on uh, through improvisation and drama as well. Did you did you uh, go to uh, any theater school? Did you did you study for for theater, or did you 
jump straight into the world of music as, as sort of like a profession? I went to um, I went to university, so I'm, I'm not an autodidact by any by any stretch. I, I went to school on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and I studied uh, theater, English literature. Um, I studied some music theory, but I started to let go of the music. Okay. Um, so it's really only in the last four, really since Ubu Mare, mm. which is 2014, that I've started to come back to music in um, in, a, in a serious and consistent way. Yeah. What was it that, that, I mean, in terms of like it being like your first musical, play with music, whatever we want to call it, yeah. uh, Ubu Mare, what yeah. was it that... that that made you want to write like what started that that play what was its genesis well the genesis of it was um the one of the members of the four horsemen steve mccaffrey um i went to a reading of his and um when the reading was over knowing that i run one little goat and the theater company um he knew about us because of the work that uh, One Little Goat did with a play by Claude Gauvreau called The Charge of the Exformidable Moose, which is this extraordinary piece of theater by the Montreal playwright, uh, Gauvreau, McCaffrey said, you know, it would be uh, great if you took um, the Rob Ford shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think he was the one who linked it to the whole Alfred Jarry, Ubu Roi, Ubu the King, Ubu Rex, concept hmm. um, I think the origin was with him which is rare because so often when people know that you write they will come to you I've got a great idea mm-hmm. I've got a great idea for a play it actually does happen quite frequently and I, I really appreciate it but that one really stuck with me mm. and as the Ford shenanigans the Rob Ford shenanigans and also Doug Ford for that matter sure. became more and more pronounced I kept thinking about Steve McCaffrey and I think it's because that was the genesis of it, this concept of taking what is really the biggest flop in history, but a deliberate flop, Ubu Roi, in the, in the late 19th century, right at the turn of the century, when Alfred Jolly wrote this play where he almost deliberately sabotaged his own play mm. so that people would riot, um, to combine the spirit of that play with a play, quote-unquote, about Rob Ford, but really just about the spirit of um, political mm. brazenness and stupidity and insensitivity. Um, I, I, when those two came together, somehow bringing music into play with that just seemed like a natural fit. Music allowed mm. Ubu Mare to become even more extreme than the writing was. So it just it allowed it to just blow right blow everything up mm. and and um, and come out really strongly uh, of course you need great theater mu- musical theater sure. actors yeah. like like Astrid Van Weer and like Michael Dufay's like Richard Hart sure you need that for sure and you need strong music but there's something about music no matter what that can just let you take it to the next level mm. so that's what happened with Ubu Mare and the experience was such a such a positive one that that I couldn't let the music go after that I've had to hold on to it and um Again, someone like Balanchine, I remember hearing him talking about how uh, he could never work with canned music. He always needed orchestration Mm. there. He always needed live music. You know, we're in an era now where people can listen to this podcast uh, while they're walking on the street, while they're sitting at home, while they're in the bath, wherever. Mm -hmm. But let's face it, live experience 
is something that we all uh, is is maybe the last thing that we need to experience in person. Mm. And um, for all the incredible recordings that are out there, live music is 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 really special. There is nothing like it. Um, and you know, I've seen musicals that that use uh, a canned orchestra. Yeah. Um, I remember um, watching uh, Evil Dead the musical and realizing, oh, there's nobody conducting. There's no right. live music. It's just a recording. Um, and actually watching actors kind of struggle. Mm. with the music because there's nobody conducting so there's nobody who can go and all together now you have to be right. ready to go right um, and also I think it affects the audience because the audience knows that it's not live yes we're used to recorded things something happening in there that's why theater and live performance pops so much and not having a live uh, orchestra or any live music really sort of affects us I think or we see a lack there I, I totally agree with that, and there's some there's uh, with live music to put it, however touchy feely that this may be. There's just more vibration in the air. Sure. Um, there's also the benefit of being able to change it up a little bit. Maybe we want to just pick that up a little bit tonight. Mm-hmm. When you're working with canned music, which I've never done, and and, and I I just can't can't imagine doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you are really beholden to that tempo as well. Yeah. So, you know, what if everyone's cooking a little faster that night and we want to just get moving? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's no room for that. There's no room for, for yeah. So yeah. Th- there's no comparison. And, you know, what would it be? It would be the Victorian notion, Walter Pater notion of all great art asp- aspires to the condition of music. And I think all great music aspires to the condition of live performance. Mm-hmm. And um, to see... Uh, I come back to a great piano player like McCoy Tyner. To see McCoy live is an extraordinary experience. And part of it is not just the vibration in the air. It's also knowing that you are there in that moment with him as he is generating that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can follow him as he's moving. So this is one of the, the great actors... Uh, great performers, and, and we have a terrific cast in this in this play in music, music, life, death, music. We have actors who are able to make it fresh every time. That mm. is one of the difficult tricks of theater. Sure. How Absolutely. do you do that? How can you be as I now am, just thinking through my quote unquote line mm-hmm. as I'm having this conversation with you, coming up with the the responses, the thoughts on the mm-hmm. spot. There's a freshness to that action. How do you maintain that action in the theater when you've rehearsed it however many times? And that's a big, big trick. The beauty here, we have a little advantage in the way that we are working with our music. And that is that often in the musical, and with Ubu Mare, this was the case too. I felt like the band the band was strong. It was great. We had Jeff Halaschuk on the drums, Tyler Iman on the bass. I played the piano. We were solid. But we really became such a well-oiled machine that we kind of got locked in mm. to this is how we do it. Mm. And yes, we kept it fresh to a degree each night, but what I've done with Music, Music, Life, Death, Music is given some space in several songs for the band to improvise. So we have Lynette Gillis on drums, we have Josh Joshua Sky Angle on guitar, we have Tyler on bass, I'm playing the Fender Rhodes. Um, so... I would say it's mostly Tyler on bass mm. and Josh on guitar who are going to step forward, improvise, 
and, and give a little space. What action is happening on stage? I haven't quite staged yet. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But I wanted to build some space for the band to loosen up a little bit, mm-hmm. to improvise, and to try to find something that only will happen on that evening. Sure. I mean, one of the one of the magic things about about theater is that it's never going to be exactly that ever, ever, ever again. Um, and one of the uh, years ago, I worked with a company that was um, we were developing a performance style of doing um, uh, silent film on stage, and that was we were creating plays in the style of silent film. And our initial uh, uh, vision was that we would play, we would do whatever we were we were doing with recorded music until we managed to find a brilliant pianist who mm. came in. And as soon as we were working with the pianist, it was like magic because yeah. it was a conversation back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely see the the how building in those conversations into this piece become is, is, is an important way of making it fresh. Yes, yeah. yes. And I have not done that much with text. Um, the text... At this point, we'll see. There will be a few little changes along the way, but for the most part, we're all pretty confident in having done our table work um, that th- the text is going to stand as it is. Maybe a couple of moments that are improvised um, in, in terms of dialogue, but I'm really just talking about less than a handful. Yeah. Whereas in the music, we are going to uh, have several minutes minimum where we just open the band up a little more. Sure. So I, I'm excited to to pursue that, explore that, and uh, and see see what comes with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that you would necessarily want to do with the spoken text because not every brilliant actor's forte mm-hmm. is improvising. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can do it. And yes. So um, a lot of actors really need their text to be really strong. And if yes. you deviate, people can get lost. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um. So this is, I mean, how long have you been rehearsing this as we record this? Uh, about a week-ish, yeah. And how much how much rehearsal time have you built in for yourselves? Uh, we, we rehearse for roughly a month, mm-hmm. and then we are going to run May 25th to June 10th, so about two and a half weeks here at the at the Terracon Extra yeah. Space. Yeah. And do you, do you, are you feeling, like, you, like you're basically just at the start of your rehearsal process, and so you're learning a lot about, about the play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there been anything in particular that has surprised you that you've learned so far? I think what's surprised me is not so much the text. What has really surprised me is that this cast, these four cast members, get along like a house on fire. <laughs> now, Jennifer Villaverde and Richard Hart had worked together before. Mm-hmm. They were in a production of Merchant of Venice about a decade or or even more ago. Um, Tova and Richard Hart and I have worked together for over a decade. Teresa Tova um, has not worked with any of them nor with me. Same thing with Sierra Holder, who just graduated a week before we started rehearsing. Mm. She graduated from Sheridan College. So she's certainly not worked with any of us. Um, Maybe it's that so much of the opening of this play is built around this couple, and the couple is played by Richard and Jennifer, mm-hmm. that there, no ice needed to be broken yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah. the couple. And, and you know, to do a, uh, let's call it a love scene, mm. as your the first scene of your play, sure. 
Um, yeah. It's enormously helpful when the two actors know each other, trust each other, and respect each other and get along so well. Maybe that is the biggest surprise for me and, and a, a huge help and a huge relief too because uh, to get to that point where you can be lovers yes. on stage, I would think if you didn't know the other person would take some time. So uh, so that's been a, a big, I think, head start and yeah. a kind of fortunate moment i had no idea when i cast them that they uh that that they had uh, a history of working together it's 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 funny because i mean every actor if you're if you know when you're you have to play lovers with somebody you can get there um but if you worked with somebody before you already have a, a certain level of comfort which which definitely yeah. definitely yeah, well, Jennifer put it to me the other day. She says, it helps when you know the person. Yes. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. I know that that's a, an obvious statement, but it was good to know because I, I was really impressed mm. with how, how well they, they clicked. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that, like, it seems like an obvious statement, but I think, you know, it's not necessarily because a lot of people interpret, they think, oh, they're actors. They just like, that's right. Them, they get them in the room and they, and it'll be, it'll work, but it doesn't work that way that's right you, that's you right you don't immediately have comfort with somebody and i think that's that's simple human nature no matter how good an actor you are mm. you can't create or fabricate on day one of rehearsal an entire history with oh. someone you know all the good times bad times frustrating times whatever whatever your history is you cannot create that in one fell swoop now thankfully jennifer and richard have a very positive yeah, yeah, history because yeah, yeah. could you imagine if it had been the oh opposite my oh my yeah we oh worked together a decade ago and we hated each oh other <laughs> okay yes, scene one yes. your lovers yes good that, luck that probably wouldn't have gone quite so well they wouldn't have had the, <laughs> the chemistry that you were quite looking for and it might have changed how the scene initially played yeah yeah but i mean the i mean this is an industry where people um have good experiences and bad experiences and you work with people again and again and occasionally that's a thing that can happen um in terms of um the things that you're you're exploring because like you said you're a weekend and there are things that you're still learning mm. about the play mm. are there things that you are um that you know going like when you before you started rehearsal were there things that you know that you needed to learn hmm um yeah going in there are a lot of questions in the text there there are a few things let me talk about one that's kind of on a very basic level when i wrote music music life death music as with a number of plays i've written recently there's hardly one stage direction in the entire mm. text so on a very basic level, I'm really curious to know where people go, yeah. uh, how they move, how, what the space is like. Mm. Jackie Chow, the set designer, is obviously a humongous help with that. Um, but I don't really picture what is going to happen. Some people think more visually than I do. I think more sonically. Mm. The whole musical angle that I have um, makes sense. Um, but, uh, you know, when Jackie comes up with a set, I, I'm really just wide open. I'm wide open to whatever, whatever kind of, let, let's call it, uh, visual appearance is going to unfold. So, mm. so that's one on a very basic level. No stage directions, no set, no, no, hardly any, I mm. should say, indication of how people move through the space and what the space physically looks like. It's, it's appearances. So I'm very curious about that. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, I'm really curious to see 
what these lines, not just how they sound, but more importantly for a, a play, what they do to each other, what they do to the person who's saying them, and what they do with that to the other to the other person. Mm. Um, and so I'm watching that very closely. The beauty is that I wrote this in the summer. I revised it and, and found my final draft sometime in the fall. So it's been roughly half a year. We're now in the spring of 18, so we're talking about fall of 17. I put it away. I didn't look at it. I, I read with it when we were auditioning and meeting and what have you. Um, a, a couple of short moments. But I have done my very best to ignore it and to forget about it yeah. so that when I've come in, uh, I'm coming fresh. Um, so when you ask, what are you curious to learn? I'm, I'm curious to learn everything. Right. Right. What's happening here? What are their relationships? Um, what are they doing to each other? What do they look like? And, and how do they move through the space? And how does that influence me as someone who is viewing? Yeah. So a lot of it, as strange as this may sound, I, I've developed a kind of convenient amnesia mm. and I'm coming at it pretty fresh. Do you find that, that, that putting it away like that um, has allowed you to approach directing it without being precious about it? Like, yes. you've got enough distance from it that it's not this, that it's not your baby anymore. It's not a thing that you wrote. Absolutely. Yes, you said it. And if at any point anyone wants to change a line, rewrite, there's no me there anymore. It's just what works best mm -hmm. for the scene, what works best for this moment. Um, and I think that it really only took about an hour or two of all of us being together. Richard Hart knows this because we've worked together for so long. But for the other three actors, um, uh, Sierra, Teresa, and Jennifer, uh, we um, very quickly came to this understanding of whatever you need to do, if you need to do something to the text, go for it. And I have no problem with that. I have no issue with that because really the writer's long gone now. Yeah, let's yeah, make yeah. let let's let's make this this play breathe. Let's make these scenes dynamic. Is putting something away for a long time something you had to learn how to do? Because a lot of some people will like finish their play and they're immediately like, ah, now let's put it on. Let's do it right now. Um, and they don't give themselves any distance. I've done both. And I think both are a great way to approach. Mm. It totally depends on the kind of play. Mm. Something like Ubu Mayor, you write it. The municipal elections are coming up. Let's go. We better roll really yes, quickly. Yes, yes, yes. So that's timely. That's political satire. And we better we, we better keep with the times because yeah. the times move very, very quickly. It's true. And we want to respond to this moment now. This moment is going to pass. So um, that would be an example of, of, of a play that uh, from the moment I finished it, we just jumped right in. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe that makes for a less quote-unquote perfect play. But um, what it lacks in perfection, it makes up for in liveliness, in um, spontaneity. Yeah. So uh, I think that there really are those, to put it very basically, mm -hmm. those, if, you're, if you have to choose between those two approaches, putting on a play right away the moment, you've, you know, the, the, even before the, the ink is dry um, versus giving it time. I think it completely depends mm. on what your approach is. And, you know, coming back again to improvising, I've seen scenes improvised that blew my mind yeah, yeah, yeah. that were yeah. that were fabricated right there. And, and, you know, if people didn't have the, the guts slash stupidity, mm -hmm. right, to just yeah. go out there and go for it, yeah. um, those wouldn't have happened. So I think that there, 
one of the things that um, I think would be great for a lot of us in general is just to have a lot of permission to suck out there because you have to do a lot of sucking before you Whoa. can find or amid all the sucking, there can also be some greatness that happens. Um, so, you know, if we just kind of try to make it perfect or too perfect, you know, maybe it'll be dead on arrival. But we're not really good at allowing ourselves to suck in this industry. And maybe, maybe you know, we can we can talk about it, but we're not... The industry is not forgiving yeah. and not doesn't really allow the suckage that it really should. Like <laughs> we should be able to go into something like the Fringe Festival and have something that's half formed and almost yeah, monstrous, that's right. That's right. and we'll figure it out during performance. Yeah. But we tend to go into something like Fringe, and uh, people are like, "Well, it just seemed half formed." And you're like, but that's the point. It's yeah, supposed to be yeah. my chance to experiment, but we're that's not right. good with that. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if the best headline for this podcast is, you know, you know, Seelig allows himself to suck. No, uh, no, because, no, you no, know, we, we definitely, you know, having said all that, we definitely are going to work hard at this. But let's face it. Um, these early days of rehearsals, that's actually one of the mantras that we all have yeah. here. Okay, let's just allow ourselves to suck. Let's see what happens. Let's just be bold about it. But that's something that's sort of important in rehearsal. And a lot of times we forget about that as actors. We want to come in and on a first day be brilliant. And we don't want to... Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because one, one of the first things um, I, t I, I told this cast and, I, and, I, and I've told prior cast too is um, I'm not coming in with any preloaded ideas of how this is going to unfold. Mm -hmm. So I recommend the same for you. Let it happen here. All of the most brilliant ideas that any of us had outside of the rehearsal hall paled in comparisons in comparison to the worst ones we had in in the live moment of rehearsing. Yeah. So this is a collective creation. This has to happen here. It's not to say that we don't do our homework and we don't review our harmonies and sure. we review our parts. And for me, in this case, playing the piano, I don't. I have to practice my pieces. Of course, we have to learn our lines. Sure. But do you want a fully formed character, a fully formed song before you've come in and tried it in the context? Absolutely not. It has to happen here. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you, if you have that right off the top, and you still have like three, four weeks of rehearsal, um, it gets tired. Like that, that thing that you did at the beginning is now tired at the end. So yeah. it's better to come in with nothing and develop it over time than to, uh, and that way it, it doesn't become tired. You don't yeah. peak too soon. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Which I've been in productions where we peak too soon and then we're like, shit, what do we do now? <laughs> and I think we've all, we've all been through that. Yeah. 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 Um, the, yeah. The play is, um, uh, uh, so you open on, on, on May 25th. You're at, uh, the, uh, the Tarragon Extra Space. Yes, indeed. Um, and, uh, uh, is there anything that you would want your, an audience to know coming in? Um, maybe the, maybe the one thing I want to be sure I get in here is just a shout out to everyone who's involved in sure. this production. It's yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. You don't mind if no, I just, ahead, I, I, I need to credit everyone who's involved because it's such a phenomenal team Absolutely. and, and they are the place. So we've got Richard Hart, Sierra Holder, Teresa Tova, Jennifer Villaverde, phenomenal cast. We've got a wonderful band. I'm very excited to play with Tyler Iman on bass, who's also the music director, Joshua Sky Angle on guitar, Lynette Gillis on drums. I'm playing the piano. 
slash Vander Rose uh, electric piano. And then we've got Jackie Chow doing sets and costumes, which we've been working together, I think, now for over a decade, doing One Little Go Theater Company Productions. Laird McDonald, also about a decade of us working together, lighting designer. Uh, Laura Baxter is our stage manager. Ashley Bellmer, publicist. Annie McKay, assistant producer. And the wonderful Derek Chua, who it seems like every, absolutely everyone knows, yes. executive producer. So I'm really, really happy to nice. be working with this with this great group. And and, and uh, I think um, the 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 positive energy of everyone coming together to work on a play that is as scandalous as this may sound fundamentally joyous despite the death in the mm-hmm. title despite yes. the de- and or maybe maybe simply because of knowing mm-hmm. how finite our our days are mm-hmm. here and because of that specter knowing full well it's not a matter if we die it's a matter of when we die sure. And that is even a song that is sung in this play, you know, uh, whose whose refrain is "When I die, what will you do with da 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 da?" Mm. Um, and I think knowing that uh, there there is a real celebration of embracing of exploration of life um, that uh, that pulses through this play uh, with a lot of music to boot. So I think that's that's something that people know that coming in. I'm delighted for them to come in and, and share that experience with us at the Tarragon Extra Space. Awesome. That's as good a place as any to end. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been a Homebody Productions production.